With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's happening, everybody? Brand new episode of Crossed Up. We've got uh, about less than 10 days to go here uh, in spring training before things open up on April 1st against the Atlanta Braves at Citizens Bank Park. There will be fans in the stands. Good to get baseball back. I am Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. And Anthony, listen, man, we've talked about this before. I'm where I was at last week, two weeks ago. The Phillies questions that we had back in the beginning of March are still the, the pressing questions that we have as we come down the stretch of spring training. So today's episode, I want to try to iron out those issues, see where we think that this team is, where it's headed as things trend towards opening day. So what's happening? How you been? Been good, Bob. And uh, it's been fun. I mean, I know it's, um, you know, basketball tournament time, you know, we're all, we're all watching the tournament, but it's been fun to actually catch some uh, spring training baseball, man. It, you know, the weather's starting to be a little bit better in our area. And you, you kind of got that feeling like, yeah, it's that time of year. You get excited for it, right? Summer's just around the corner and, and you know, be able to sit back and, and just watch some games and, uh, and, and just relax for a couple hours with baseball on TV has been, has been fun. Um, and, and there's a, there's a lot to like about this Phillies team. Um, but I think that there's a, as we're getting here close to April one, which is opening day, we're starting to find that there's a few questions that they have to figure out and they have to answer. And I think that that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. You know, I mean, before yesterday's game and we're recording this on Tuesday, Phillies and Yankees play uh, on Monday night. Joe Girardi comes out, names Aaron Nola the opening day starter for the fourth straight year. He passes guys like Kurt Schilling, Terry Mahalan, uh, Brett Myers, friend of the show, Brett Myers, uh, and Roy Halladay as guys uh, that had made three consecutive opening day starts for this team. So it's a big honor. It was uh, no surprise there, not a shock. And it looks like the Phillies will line up with Aaron Nola, game one. Zach Wheeler uh, will come back in game two and then close things out on Easter Sunday with Zach Eflin. So you know, we knew about that, right? We knew about the, the Phillies' top three guys in the rotation. We knew where this starting lineup was going to be, with the exception of center field, which I'm sure we'll come back to. Uh, but we do have a couple things that we need to iron out still. And I think over the last 48 hours, some of the uncertainty uh, is starting to kind of come into focus here a little bit where you see where this thing seems to be trending. So for me, I think that the most useful thing that we can do at the start of this show is kind of talk about the most pressing issues that the Phillies are dealing with and things that are going to get resolved probably over the next handful of days. So let's first start with a, a quick little center field update. You can't do a Phillies podcast and you can't do a Phillies <laughs> update without talking about what's happening in center field. And so to do a quick little reset here, latest developments is that Adam Hazley is a little bit ahead of schedule. And so we had sort of written off Adam Hazley as not being ready for opening day. Joe Girardi indicated that he could possibly play later on this week. Would that be enough time and enough at-bats to get him ready for game one? You know, I don't know. 
Roman Quinn had been striking out a ton at the beginning of, of spring training and the beginning of Grapefruit League action. He's gotten it together a little bit, starting to put the ball in play a little bit more and quietly has put together a nice little stat line uh, across the board. Has he kind of taken charge of this or has Odubel Herrera done enough? You know, he comes out red hot, has all the upside, eh, you know, the last couple of weeks. So where do you see center field as, as we sit here and talk right now? I have no idea, Bob. I mean, that's the thing. Um, you know, I look at Quinn and yeah, he's, he's hitting well. I mean, he's hitting 321, I think at this point in spring. Um, but even yesterday, uh, and he had a hit, scored a run. Um, he did strike out twice again. And it makes you wonder that as we go down, you know, these are these this final week is usually when, you know, pitchers are starting to throw like they're going to pitch in the regular season. And we saw that yesterday with Aaron Nola. I, you, know, I, you know, I was sitting there prior to yesterday like, oh, you know, Nola doesn't look great in, in spring. They announced him as a spring training uh, or his opening day starter. And he comes out, strikes out nine. Well, I was just one hit against the Yankees. <laughs> against the regular lineup I mean, he was yeah. awesome last he night. was awesome right? i mean so, so like Aaron Nola, you know when, yeah. when he's going at his best that's what yeah so so you know you don't worry about that so, but but that goes to show that that's you know pitchers are just kind of toying around with stuff prior to this week and then this week, week is when they start to ramp it up so when you see roman quinn yeah he had a hit and he scored a run um but he still struck out a couple times yesterday and, and you know and that makes you worry a little bit that 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 swing and miss is still going to be there come the regular season you said you mentioned Herrera, um, and he's had his moments in spring. You know, and there was a time where I thought he was definitely going to win the job. He has kind of tailed off. He's only hitting two twenty-two. Uh, did walk yesterday one time, one at bat, which is fine. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if he, I don't think he has it as locked up as maybe he. It seemed that he did uh, even a week ago. Um, and you mentioned Hazley coming back. Look. We've had the Adam Hazley conversation on this show before. He's he's a fourth outfielder at best, long term in the end, in major leagues. Um, I don't I don't know. I, I I don't see him taking the job and running with it. So I think it's a matter of you know, and then we know what Kingery's issue is. And I kind of thought prior to the Brad Miller news, which we're going to get kind of get into here in a minute, um, where he's going he's probably not going to make the opening day roster. I kind of thought that there was a possibility that Kingry would have to go down to AAA to kind of work out his kinks, right? Now, I don't think you can. I think he, because of his versatility, I think he's got to be on the opening day roster, but I don't think he's worth starting in center field either. So it's really kind of a conundrum that the Phillies have that one of these guys hasn't taken the, taken the reins. And then you got to figure Kingry's got to make the roster because he can play the infield um, at multiple positions. Which of the other guys is going to make it? Is it is it going to be you know which of the two of the three of Quinn Hazley Herrera are on your opening day roster? And I'm not sure. I I think Quinn is on the roster, but I'm not sure he's the starter. And then I'm not sure between Herrera and Hazley which the other guy is going to be there. Yeah, you know, I actually kind of looked at this uh, at one point early on in the spring. I said, okay, you've got some guys out there that have a little bit of talent. Maybe this will just shake itself out. Somebody will come out, play really well. And and I think that that's what Joe Girardi really was hoping for. He had said that, hey, I'm looking for someone to take charge. That has not happened, though. And the reason why that has not happened is because these are all flawed players. You know, we talk about Roman Quinn. 
And, you know, I said he had improved on his contact a little bit lately. I mean, we're still talking about like a 10 at bat sample here. He struck out eight of his first 17 plate appearances, I believe, to, to start spring training. Then he went through a little stretch where he put the ball in play like nine out of 10 at bats. And, and that's what I meant by improvement. And like last night, you said he goes out and strikes out two more times, did have a hit. He's been okay. Do I think he has a place with his skill set on a major league roster? I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do. Adam Hazley, for me, is this baffles me when it comes to Adam Hazley. Like, I think that Adam Hazley is a, a decent player, right? You, you said he's a fourth outfielder, and, and I don't think that that's an insult. You know, some people oh, yeah. listening to this might be like, wow, I can't believe you guys dumped on Adam Hazley. But I don't understand the fascination with Adam Hazley. Like, people, when I look at, and I know Twitter isn't real life, but when mm-hmm. I hear the way that people talk, when they, they call into radio shows and the way that they tweet about Adam Hazley, like what did I miss that everyone else seems to be seeing? Because I see a guy that has some bad, in, you know, bad on ball skills. He's, he's an okay defender. Doesn't really have a ton of pop. I, I know he put on weight this off season. Like I don't buy into that though. Like, I just don't see the upside with him that other people seem to see. Yeah. Well, I think they hate Odubel Herrera so much that they're, trying to make Adam Hazley be something that he's not, you know, I, that's, I just don't get it. No, I don't think it, I don't think it has anything to do with Herrera at all, to be honest, Bob, I think that, and I find this a lot with hockey, um, you know, fans who are hardcore fans and that's who you find on for the most part, who you find on social media. Um, they are just in love with your pros with their prospects. They always like the, the, the young kid, the next big thing. And because there's a hope there that, you know, all right, they drafted Adam Hazley in the first round. He's a first round pick. He should be a guy, he should become a star. And that's kind of the thought process. Well, you're smart people. Like you can look at Alec Bohm and say this guy has yeah. all the tools necessary and production, by the way, a sample of production that you think, hey, this guy could be a perennial all-star at third base. Yeah. Adam Hazley has never shown us that. Yeah. Know? And I think it's, I, but I still think it's that hope beyond hope kind of philosophy that fans have. You know, we're able to look at it a little bit more objectively because of the roles that we're in, and we could sit there and say, yeah, you know what, he's a he's a major league player, he's just not special, <laughs> and and you want him to be special, and these fans want him to be special, and I think that that's that's what the that's the difference, and I think that that's why we kind of you know we're not we're not crapping on Adam Hazley, we're just saying he's not an everyday center fielder. Yeah, like he's a guy that I think if he plays as a fourth outfielder can get key hits for you, have games where yeah. you're like, hey, you know, he had a big knock in the seventh inning where he put together a key at bat that helped us win a baseball game. It's not that the guy doesn't belong on a major league roster. It's just that I don't see him as this solution, whether it be short or long term, as a, a viable center fielder, you know, an everyday type of guy. I just don't think that that's where he's at, you know. But when you step back and look at this entire picture, then it really comes down to, well, which guy has the most upside? And I've said numerous times that that probably is Odubel Herrera. Now, the one thing I'll say in his defense, when you look at his numbers, they're not great. He's faced an inordinate amount of left-handed pitching throughout spring training. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the Phillies wanting to, to put him in a tough spot. They want to see how he performs against lefties because we've seen him struggle in the past. You know, or has it just been luck of the draw in a lot of, in a lot of ways? But you see – a, a lot of the bats against lefties. And I think that that has hurt him a little bit. What, what has become very clear is that the Phillies don't have one guy that you can just plug and play out there against lefties, righties, and expect him to play at a high level on a consistent basis. Well, I, th- I think it's a good point that you, that you bring that up. And it's probably because, look, Roman Quinn's probably making the team. 
they know that he's usually better against lefties than righties, right? He's a, even though he's a switch hitter, he's he's usually better on the right side. So maybe you give Oduble the swings in in uh, spring training against lefties, see how it turns out, see how it works out, see if he can kind of get that, you know, uh, get that part of his game going. And if not, then you have a, a lefty-righty kind of platoon out there. Um, and it might even help your bench, especially if Brad Miller is going to be missing some time because now, you know, in games that Quinn starts, you have a Herrera off the bench as a left-handed pinch hitter um, as an option. So, uh, and, and look, pinch hitting is going to be far more important this year than it was last year. People kind of forget that the fact that, you know, when you have a DH in a lineup, you pinch hit a hell of a lot less than you do when you have pitchers in the lineup. So pinch hitting is going to be important again in 2021, uh, may only be a one year thing, but nevertheless, it's going to be there. Um, and, and so to, to have guys who you can come, you know, go to on the bench for key spots and key spots is kind of important. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, looking at uh, Roman Quinn's splits, career, lefty versus righty, uh, OPS is, is well over 150 points higher against left-handed pitching. So it's a good yeah. point. And, and I think that that, when you look at Roman Quinn, like, will he be on the team? I think that the need for the production from the right side is is just going to be, uh, you know, enormous. I, th- I think that they, they have to have it because – the one guy they're, they, they were banking on it from, and he's just not giving them anything, is Scott Kingery. And you alluded to the, the Scott Kingery conundrum a little bit here with Brad Miller potentially starting the season uh, on the injured list, not being ready to go. It really thins out that utility role, that, that guy that can step in and play infield off the bench. Scott Kingery is a mess right now. And, and I think we need to have a very honest conversation about Scott Kingery. You know, you talk about guys that you kind of dream on a little bit. When he had the year that he did in 2017, the minor leagues, uh, the you know, almost 60 plus extra base hits, the spring training that he had, you know, leading up to that long term deal that, that he did with the Phillies. You thought that they were going to have a star there, a guy that that was going to be in the middle of everything, you know, this, this scrappy player that could hit the ball with some pop, play plus defense for you, steal bases. And you really thought you were going to have a winning baseball player there. And for a variety of reasons, three years later, we've seen almost uh, none of that. And, and we certainly haven't seen it for prolonged stretches. And when I look at Scott Kingery, if you, when you watch him hit, you know, forget the stats. It's not like he's ripping the cover off the ball or putting together good at bats and it's just not materializing for him. He looks completely lost and completely overmatched. He can sit on a fastball and he can't catch up to it. You know, everyone wants to talk about like lift and, you know, the uppercut swing. And I I think he's still trying to work through some of those mechanical issues, but he looks utterly clueless. And when you look at, you know, his at bats, these are things that they're working on down there on a daily basis. And it does take time. Like it's not so easy to just say, hey, this is what you're doing wrong when we look at the video. Now you need to make these adjustments. But the Phillies are not in a position where they really can be giving meaningful playing time to guys that are hitting 100, that that can't put the ball in play, that can't put a 95-mile-an-hour belt-high fastball in play. And that's where he's at right now. And if Brad Miller were not on the injured list, to start the season. I don't think that there's any way that you can justify Scott Kingery being on this opening day roster. He is a mess. He's a mess of a baseball player right now. And you know, that's why I thought that there was a real possibility that he would be optioned down um, to the minors to kind of just figure it out. 
right? Kind of keep working on it that first month. I know that they're not really playing games, but at least, you know, still have that extended spring training. Really just kind of, you know, concentrate solely on getting his swing back uh, and then maybe bring him back up later in the year. Um, but now with, with Miller looking like he's, you know, his oblique injury is going to keep him out of uh, off the opening day roster. And he's probably going to go on that, what, 10 day injured list to start the season. Y- you need somebody else to play infield. And right now, I mean, here's the thing, Brad Miller got hurt. I think it was the 13th, right. Of March. It was the day they announced that he was injured. Yes. Three days later, is when they sent Chatham and Maton down, who were your other infield options, right? And, and the other 40-man infield options. So if they really felt like either of those guys were ready to play at the major league level, wouldn't they have stuck around? I mean, that's the way I look at it. And they didn't. They sent I, him down. I look at this two different ways. Like I say, is it the best thing for the Phillies for Scott Kinger to be up because he's probably not going to produce for you? Is it the best thing for Scott Kingery, though, and, and trying to get him back on track? You know, and that's the conversation. I think whether it happens April 1 out of necessity or, you know, he sticks around for two weeks and Brad Miller comes back and then they have to reevaluate this situation. I just don't know how a player that is where Scott Kingery's at with his swing and where he's at with his confidence. How do you get a guy back on track as a part time player? when he's seemingly this lost. And I think that that's the concern here. You know, we always look at it from the team standpoint, like, will this player help the team, but is this the best thing for the player? And that's, that's what I wonder. How do you, uh, you know, get him back on track if he can get back on track. And, you know, again, I don't want to come across dumping on a player. It's not like saying like this guy sucks or that he's never going to be anything. I don't know that that's entirely fair. If you're skeptical of Scott Kingery long-term at this point, I think that's fair. But I wouldn't necessarily write the guy off. Maybe maybe he does figure it out. But I just don't know that having him in this role is what's going to help him figure out, which in turn I don't think is the best thing for the team. Right. So that's the real concern here. But they, they just don't have the depth to kind of work around this issue. And I would say this, Bob. If the start of the season didn't include all of these games against Atlanta and New York, if it was just open the season against the Pirates, right, and then you play – uh, the Marlins or whatever. I mean, you know, you, you know, you play teams that aren't considered the two favorites in the division to start your season. Maybe you can get, get away with Scott Kingry as your 26th player, give him a few at bats over that course of that time. See if he, if he is able to write the ship. And then if not, when Brad Miller comes back, then you can send him down, you know, and, 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 you know, he has that option, those options remaining. You can, you could do that. But I think that the, you're right with, with the season being the start of the season being so important for the Phillies. I don't see how having him on the roster is a good thing. But if you don't have the players to fill that need, what, what are your options? I mean, again, like I mentioned, Chatham and Maton, they're on your 40 man, right? Okay, fine. But they would have, they're not even playing in, game, in spring training games right now because they were sent down. Who's playing right now? Ronald Torres? I mean, yeah, he could play all over the infield. He's pretty good defensively. Guy can't hit, right? Yeah. Is he going to make the roster? And if he does, that's another non-roster invite that you have to affect your. Well, that, and that's roster. the biggest. That's the biggest impediment to him being part of this conversation. You already have so much forty-man maneuvering that you're going to have to do. I, I just don't know how you add one more player who probably doesn't provide much more upside than what we're already talking about. Right. Uh, you know that, and I think that that is it's a huge part of the equation here, and. 
it's it's just a shame you know when you look at Scott Kinger you just you saw this athletic agile player who was gap to gap who used the speed who it seemed to have it you know you talk about the it factor with these guys you you see the physical tools but he just looked like a winning player as he came up through this system and and he even showed that at different points in, in spurts at the major league level but the only thing that I could say for for him at this point is Though I see physical issues with his swing, I do think that his issues are just as deep from a confidence and and psychological standpoint. And so perhaps he starts the season at the major league level and he just clicks for a couple of bats early on. And, you know, it's like high risk, high reward. Maybe, Maybe he steps into a key situation, produces a hit, and then all of a sudden he starts to just feel a little bit more comfortable. There's just a little bit more confidence that things are going to right themselves. And, and if that happens, then maybe you, you get to where he needs to be on a more direct path. I, I don't know. Rather than maybe second guessing yourself as a major league baseball p- for 30 days down at an alternate site before you get into to minor league games, you know? So that's the well, only thing I can say in terms of the upside of this. Well, then let's 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 break it down for a second, Bob, and, and let's include because we were going to talk about the forty man conundrum anyway. So let's kind of dive into it, you know, in two parts here. Um, of the non roster guys who are still in camp with the Phillies, who do you think makes the the, the opening day roster? Right? I mean, Kinsler and Watson, fair. You Probably. know, I, I listen to Joe Girardi talk every single day, and other than, than one appearance happened to be the same game for both Kinsler and Watson. These guys have been really good. He talks about how they're not going to throw 95, but they, they're veterans. They know how to pitch. They know how to mix their, their pitches. They know how to locate, and the, you can trust these guys. And to me, they're, they're both on the team. I just don't see that shocker where you go, oh, my God, really? They, they, they're not going? I mean, maybe that happens. They're going to have to make some hard decision that you go, wow, really? They're, that's what they're going to do? But I just don't think it's with those two guys. Right, and I think it's important for the bullpen that you have veteran guys out there because of what happened last year. So, yeah, okay, there, there are two that make it. Um, O'Double. I mean, you know, you can do an entire segment on this guy at this point. If it's me, I'm putting him on. He's still playing in these games and getting a lot of time. You know, one thing they'll not be able to say at the end of this is that they didn't give him a fair shot. You right. know, and it's not like his numbers are – it's not like he's hitting 420 where they if, – if he doesn't make the team, they'll say, well, this was an agree – like clearly he didn't make the team because of all of the off-field issues. I have gotten the sense all spring that they intend to put him on the team. Would I be absolutely blown away if, if he's not on the opening day roster? No. But, I mean, I've been saying now for five weeks that it, it sure feels like this is how they intend to use him. So, so that's your third spot. Yeah. Matt Joyce. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the value of the pinch hitter, right? And uh, veteran presence. Now, that that's one guy that I think you could you could conceivably just say, in a perfect world, we we would put him on our opening day roster. But we don't live in that perfect world, and they might possibly have to make a hard decision there. But but again, I think if they're drawing up their best twenty six guys, he's he's one of them. Yeah, and he's had a great camp. I mean, there's no reason to not to not include him based off of, you know, what he's done in spring training. I mean, he's been really good. You know, so, one thing I, one, one thing I do want to say real quick, um, you know, we're all listening to the same stuff. Certain guys are plugged into the, to the line of the team's thinking. Mm-hmm. I will, I will just say this. Todd Zalecki on Sunday published a piece projecting the opening day roster. 
And Matt Joyce and Odubel Herrera, and I think it's even it's it's more noteworthy that Herrera is on this. The, the, both of these guys are on Todd Zalecki's projected opening day roster. He's been projecting Odubel Herrera on the roster for a month now. I I'm not telling you that he's Dave Spadaro to the Eagles because he's not. I mean, Todd's a, a real like a real actual mm-hmm. journalist, uh, so I, I'm not suggesting that Todd's a mouthpiece or anything like that. But I I do think that Todd is really sharp and really plugged in. And I don't think that he would have Odubel Herrera on that projection. If, if Odubel Herrera wasn't going to be on the team, I, I think that that's worth pointing out. So that, so that we now have four NRIs making, making the roster, let, let alone talking about the, the Kingry situation. Right. So, so what, what's, you know, what do you do with the 40 man? Well, I mean, if you're, if, you, if you're already pulling four guys off of the 40 man, and you want to, and, and you and you want to have Scott Kingery kind of figure it out a little bit somehow. Where? I mean, what what else do you do? This is why I said two weeks ago that the Vince Velasquez trade made so much sense. But then he got a little bit dinged up. He's okay. He threw yesterday, and everything looks okay there. But that would be one valuable spot. It would be a creative way to to free things up. Where this gets even more complicated, I would have said initially that David Hale would have been one of the guys that you would remove from your forty man. But he's pitched well he's enough. Pitched to, well. He's pitched well enough this spring that another team would probably pick him up. And Joe Girardi has talked about how he would like to have two guys in his bullpen that are capable of taking down multiple innings. And he mentioned David Hale specifically as one of the guys that could do it. So if David Hale, who I did not initially have in this bullpen, is a, is a part of it, then that makes your 40-man crunch even, even tighter. Because I thought that he was going to be one of the casualties. Yeah. So now – you get into to some of your, your minor league guys. Um, and I said last time, like, I don't want to – it's, like, different. When a guy's up at the major league level, I say, like, okay, like, you can clearly part ways with this guy. I, I'm not – two things. Number one, I'm not as comfortable saying, like, yes, you should part ways with this 25-year-old prospect. And I'd also be lying to you that I've had extended looks at some of these guys to know that they are worth keeping or, or worth, you know, parting with. So – but when you do that 40-man scroll – I mean, like, you look at a guy like Simon Muziati. Like, is he a guy that they, you know, he's a 23-year-old guy, like 22-year-old kid. Like, are are you parting ways with him? Like, do you see enough upside? Like, the the point being, the Phillies are going to have to make decisions about some of their minor league players that they probably don't want to have to make decisions on and assess, like, A, is this worth the risk of – removing from the 40 man and and do these players have enough upside that they're worth keeping at the expense of weakening our potential opening day roster i I don't know because you're looking at four or five moves that you're going to have to make here that's a lot that's significant turnover at the bottom of your 40 man yeah it is a lot that is a lot and and that's the thing and you're right i mean you can't you know how can we sit here you and i and argue the merits of bailey falter or mauricio lovera right i mean we can't do that right i mean we just you know we we don't have enough personal information on these guys to say well that guy should be coming off to make room for for uh brandon kinsler like we don't know but that's why that's why this all circles back to the the kingery thing because if you were going to send kingery down to, to you know get his head on straight and you need and brad miller's not ready to go and you need to bring up an infielder i mean they obviously weren't in love with and in love enough with Chatham or, or Maton to keep them around. 
what do you do? I mean, you know, do you this like Torres is playing? He's still there as an NRI. Is that a fifth person that you're going to get rid of off the forty man? I think I just doesn't. It, none of this makes sense to me. So I think that the Philly, you're right. There's going to have to be some tough decisions that are coming here, and, and maybe it's maybe it's a trade, maybe it's outrighting a guy altogether. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know where it goes, but it's. I think it's going to be really interesting come next week. It's an it's a very interesting situation, and it's one that uh, will have some clarity. I think by the middle of this week, you have guys like uh, Hector Rondon. Um, I believe this applies to Tony Watson as well, where they have their opt outs. Um, so the Phillies are going to have to make decisions on these guys. Um, and it's really interesting too. You look at a guy like Sam Coonrod, who's pitched really well. And one of the first moves that Dave Dombrowski made when he first got here, but he is a guy that has options. And I think almost in a perfect world, if you were going on merit, you'd say this, this is a guy that probably should start the season at the major league level. But when you look at the roster games and the transactional element of where they're at, I think a lot of these, not a lot, but a handful of these moves and how they open things. Um, it's not going to necessarily be based on this is the guy that we feel is the best. It's just, this is how we were able to balance, you know, trying to keep guys in the organization uh, versus also trying to be competitive. This is a real, uh, you know, high wire act that they're walking here. And the thing for me is you'd say like, are are you really going to go that deep on these things? But, the Phillies playing a division that is stacked. Every game matters. Every single game matters in this division. Like, and, and I don't, I know that that sounds cliche, but it's the truth. The mm-hmm. Phillies are playing from behind here. They have to maximize the production of every single spot on this roster to try to, to bridge the gap with the Mets, to bridge the gap with the Braves. I think they're better than Washington, but some people don't. So to, to bridge the gap with the Nationals. I just don't know. It's going to be utterly fascinating to see what this team does. A team that that claims it is going to go all in to compete and has shown from a financial standpoint that that's where they want to be. How are you going to balance it now? Yeah. Well, we did this last episode. We talked about, you know, when we we gave our predictions for the roster, Um, you know, now here we are, you know, a week or a little more than a week later. um, And you look at that bullpen, has anything changed for you? Do, do you think that they might go nine guys now in the bullpen? Or does the fact that you had the injuries at, you know, the injury of Miller and, and, and the ineffectiveness of Kingery mean maybe you only go eight in the bullpen still and, 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 and have an extra position player on the bench? I, all I can say is that every indication that you get when you listen to Joe Girardi talk is that they're going to go with an eight-man bullpen. And, and that's just kind of where, um, where I think he's been all along and where I think he's going to finish this thing. But when you start to go through who are going to be the guys in that bullpen, you know, we talked about Coonrod a second ago. I, I, you know, I said before that Spencer Howard was a guy that I would consider for that bullpen role. I think that his injury situation uh, has kind of answered that, you know, has sort of helped clarify his role. I don't think Mm -hmm. that he starts at the major league level. And I do think it was probably a little bit more of a long shot that he did anyway. But I think that his injury, even though he's back throwing, he's going to pitch in a simulated game on Wednesday. I just I feel like all of these different factors is going are, are coming together to kind of keep him off the major league roster. Vince Velasquez, I think, I guess at four million dollars is going to be the team's long man. Is is that where we're going here? Well, I don't know. Like like I like I look at the bullpen and I've been just thinking about it, right? So we we've we've already said that the three locks are Naris, Bradley, and Alvarado, right? I mean, they're 
your, your three locks. We're both kind of convinced that Kinsler and Watson are going to make this bullpen uh, as, as NRI. So that gives you, that gives you five. So you got three more spots. I think Brogdon has a spot. You know, I wouldn't be stunned if, if Connor Brogdon doesn't have a spot, but when I look at him, I just, I see the upside there. I look at how he pitched in September. How does he not? Right. 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 So that he's six and then you need two long guys. So if David Hale is one, that's seven is Velaz does Velazquez beat out Coonrod and Jojo Romero for that last spot in the bullpen because he can throw multiple innings. Well, and Joe Girardi on Sunday talked about the need of, of having a, a guy that can fulfill that role. And that being said to me, it would seem that, that Vince Velasquez is that guy. Vince Velasquez has like, forget nine (laughs) lives. The guy has like 25 lives. I have no idea how, how it's even possible, but he looks like right now, as we sit here and talk on Tuesday, that he has the inside track to that, that long man job. Now, We'll see. You know, a guy like Jojo Romero has pitched really well this spring. Yeah. Do you need three lefties in your bullpen? And, th- and that's where maybe the maybe the Phillies say, hey, listen, you know, Tony Watson's a nice pitcher. And I know he can get out righties, too. That's the thing. Like, yeah. he, he's good against both sides of the plate. He's not like a lefty, you know, lefty-only lefty specialist. Yeah. But maybe they just say, listen, you know, when you look, consider the 40-man crunch, we'll, we'll go the veteran route with Kinsler. We're going to we're gonna not roll with Tony Watson. It just doesn't make sense for us. Maybe that is in play, you know? So, you know, where I tell you that they want Watson, I think that, that he could be a guy just because of the context and the way the 40 man lays out that it presents itself where they go a different direction. Yeah. The only thing is when you say, do you really want three lefties? And I get that question is I I'm starting to believe with as well as Alvarado has pitched that he's going to ultimately be the guy closing games. So if, if he's going to be that back end ninth inning, and you have an earlier matchup and you need that lefty to come out of the pen, do you only want to have one option there? And, and, yeah. and, 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 and that one option is Jojo Romero, who is still, still kind of young, right? Or do you want that veteran lefty that you can go to in that key spot in the sixth inning, you know, to get out of a jam or seventh inning, get out of a jam. And that's why I think Watson still has that value ahead of Romero. Plus Romero has two options left. You can send him down. Um, and, and bring him up later. Look, I mean, guys like Romero and Coonrod, even if they don't make the roster and they have options and can go down, they're going to be back. We know how bullpens work, right? I mean, you 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 don't pitch just seven or eight guys all year long. You're going to need 15 relievers. At yeah, the season. And, and, right. and I think that is worth noting. Like, we're, we're looking at this because, hey, who's going to be on the opening day roster is a, a point of conversation. But, you know, Brandon Kinsler could go out and and – get crushed for, for two weeks and that changes things. Or right. you know, one of these guys gets hurt in the first week. It changes things. So it's not like how it's not like the NFL where you're like, how didn't he make the team? Or, you know, how did they keep Jojo Romero off the opening day roster? Oh my God. You know, you're going to need the depth anyway. And, you know, I, I guess it, it can be said that it's, it's not the end of the world. If, if some of these guys don't start the season up, but it, it certainly does. It's it certainly in the bullpen. It's the reverse of the situation in center field. You have what seems to be several good or quality options, intriguing options, and you're not just putting guys there because they're the least of the bad. 
you know, right. and, right. and and which is what you're getting right now with that last bench spot and, and what the way center field is, is sort of trending. So I have one more roster question for you. And it's not, I mean, we know these guys are going to be on the roster, but it's still a question. Um, should fans be excited by the way Matt Moore and Chase Anderson have pitched in spring training, or is it just these are two guys who are pitching a little bit earlier than they should have been to try and prove that they're worth a, ro- a rotation spot? Yeah, I mean, as long as your expectations are in line with what they are, like if you're like, hey, can this guy give us or can these guys give us average fourth and fifth starter quality appearances, then yeah, I feel like sure. If you're thinking that like Matt Moore is going to revert back to, you know, the guy that we saw seven or eight years ago, I I think you're going to be disappointed. But between the two of them, I guess – I've been less impressed by Anderson. I I think he's a guy like, Mm -hmm. but I I think, you know what I'll say about him? Like, I think he's going to give you some pretty rocky starts, but I also think he's going to give you some decent starts, which is what you would expect from a fifth guy. I just don't think he's going to give you the, the blow up and multiple consecutive blow up starts that you would get from a guy like Nick Pavetta. Like, I think that we'll almost appreciate the mediocrity (laughs) just because it's not going to make you want to rip your hair out every time you see the guy pitch, you know? And I, I, does that make sense? Like, I guess, I guess the question is, I guess the question is, and we know that Dombrowski came out and said he likes his pitchers to pitch longer, a little bit starting pitchers pitch a little bit longer. Can we expect six innings, four and a half ERA from Warren Anderson? I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, but then if that happens, then where it is, where does Spencer Howard factor in? Like, and, and so that's why I've been saying all spring, Hey, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he pitches out of the bullpen. So maybe he doesn't do it on April 1st, but if more, if everything goes according to plan here and more and Anderson are good and the top three guys pitch the way that we expect them to, I, I think that Spencer Howard sooner rather than later is, is going to be at the major league level. And so then does he start taking down, whether it be long, you know, or, you know, doing these multi inning appearances, I, I just think he factors in at some point. And, right. And so if one of those guys slips up, it's there or it's in the bullpen. Yeah. Or somebody gets hurt. Yeah. Which, you know, again, we, we see, we've seen the last few years, this, this team's run through nine, 10 different starters. So, right. Right. So that's the other thing. So, I mean, it's, it's all interesting, Bob, to me. I think that this is a, an intriguing team um, in a lot of ways. When you look around baseball and you try and say, or you know who the who you think are going to be the really good teams, you know who you think are going to be the really bad teams, and then you have that collection of teams that are in the middle that you really don't know what they're going to be. I think the Phillies are at the top of that list as, as intriguing as a team that could be, you know, that's in the middle but could be really, really good. Yeah, let me say this. Like if, if you right now, if I told you, hey, listen, the Phillies are going to win 88 games this year, would you mm-hmm. be blown away by that? No, I mean, because that's kind of where I am with them. I, I mean, if I, I told you, though, yeah. the Phillies were going to win 78 games. Would you be blown away by that? No, I wouldn't. No, you wouldn't, wouldn't right? right. And that's a, to your point, that they yeah. are one of the more intriguing teams. I, I see the upside, and I know that you could go through every single team and be like, well, you know, there's a ceiling and there's a floor. But I really do think that there's quite a disparity between the ceiling and floor here. Like, I do think that this could, this could be a, a team that makes the postseason – or this is a team that misses a playoff spot by nine games. Like I, that's yeah. kind of where I see it right now. And I, yeah. and I agree with you. I mean, I think that they're, I think that they're better than Washington, and I think that they're better than the Marlins, even though they struggle when they play them. And you know, hopefully for all of our sanity, that they can figure out why they can't beat the Marlins and actually finally beat them this year. Um, 
and you know the, the Mets are the the Mets to me are still the wild card. I know that they, they're on paper they look great, um, but the Mets always have a way of finding a way to implode at some point somehow. Um, so that to me, that to me is the team that the Phillies are, are going to be chasing more than Atlanta. I still think Atlanta is the class of the division, um, and probably is going to win the division. And I think it, it's going to come down for the Phillies if they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to have to be better than the Mets. And to yeah. me, that's that's the that's the thing that we're going to be watching all season long, which is fun because it's good to have the Phillies and the Mets kind of be good at the same time, right? It's a, you know you remember what that rivalry was like back in you know 07, 08 when the Mets were the team that were challenging the Phillies. It's fun when the Phillies and Mets are, are both you know good at the same time so it'll be really kind of interesting to track that all season long yeah we've kind of like missed that lately right where you have that that series coming up and guys are talking shit like you know like i want to hear bryce harper get up in front of the reporters and be like we're going into new york and we're going to win two out of three like we're winning the series yeah the phillies haven't had i'm not saying have to be jimmy rollins like the team to beat like i'm not saying it has to be that dramatic but there just hasn't been any like bad blood between the Phillies and an opponent in so long, you know, you get tired of losing to the Marlins. It's annoying. I'm sure the Phillies feel some kind of way about the Braves, but like it hasn't been like this nasty, like you don't like the Braves as a Phillies fan, but it hasn't been this contentious, nasty back and forth with them. Like I want to see that this year, like where, where someone stands up and is like, yo, we're coming. Like, yeah, that's what I want to see. The last few years, everyone just hate, like the Phillies hate the Phillies. Like the Phillies, Phillies fans hate the Phillies. They don't hate the opponent. Like <laughs> it's time to redirect the hatred elsewhere. <laughs> it's more fun that way. It really yeah. is. It really well, is. I remember those Mets series back in 07, 08, and you're like, it was so important to just beat them and embarrass them. And, yep. you know, just the, the rivalry and the back and forth of it. Like it's time to get back to that, you know? Yeah, and I think we, I think we will. I think that this, I think you're going to see a lot of that, this, and a lot of animosity between those two teams this year, because I think that they're both going to recognize that where their lot is in this division, that they're two A and two B yeah. in this division. Um, yeah. Ultimately, I mean, and and it's going to be a battle to see which one of them can can go out there, and, and you know. I, we're pretty confident that there's only going to be one team coming out of the central this year. The central kind of stinks and out West you have the Dodgers, the Padres and everybody else. And the giants baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so I really think it's, it's going to, that last wild card is going to come down to Phillies and Mets. Yeah. And it's really uh, going to be a thing all year long. Well, it's good. What's good next, next week when we uh, record right before the start of the season, we'll react to all these hard decisions that the Phillies have to make in the coming days. And we will then lay it all out there. You know, we'll do the, the bold predictions and, and the season predictions, and that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that because I'll tell you where I'm at. And, and I don't know how other fans feel, but I'm all done with spring training. It's, it's time to wrap it up, you know, get everyone healthy. Get on the plane, come north, let's go. I, yeah. I, I just can't do the analyzing center field at bats anymore. You know, I, I just, I'm, I'm so over it. Let's just start the season. Let's see what's what and, and get it going. Here. Well, you know what's funny, Bob? When I was younger, pitchers and catchers would report mid-February, but the rest of the team didn't come until like two weeks later. Mm-hmm. Now, pitchers and catchers report and the rest of the team shows up three days later. Yeah. It's and a big playing, it's, playing games three days after yeah. that. <laughs> And I, so I think that that's made spring training just that much longer for us because like we didn't really care. Like we were excited when pitchers and catchers reported, 
but it was like, all right, we're not going to play a game for two weeks. Pitchers right? and is like a Groundhog Day thing. Like, yes. oh, it's 14 degrees outside. Pitchers <laughs> and catchers reported. Like, who yeah. shit? Nobody cares. Right, but now now it's the it really is the start of spring, and it, but it, it goes on, it drags on for seven weeks now, whereas spring training used to be a month. Yeah, and this then that is was definitely – uh, there is a large enough sample size, even though some of these things haven't been answered. There is a large enough sample size to look at to, to yes. make your decisions at this point. I agree. Hey, I got one one last thing for you. Sure. Um, we we talked about it was it was funny the last time we recorded. Then uh, like that night, the uh, story came out that Major League Baseball is going to be trotting out some uh, some experimental rules in the minor leagues uh, to try and see if they could. Uh, um, you know, if they work and if they want to bring them into, into the majors. Uh, the two that, that really kind of stuck out to me, I think, more than anything else, um, were their way, the way that they want to try and attack the shift to prevent it from happening anymore, um, to at least the extreme shift anyway, um, and also to try and enhance base stealing again, making bags, making the bags a little bit larger. Um, so the, the, the rule on the shift is, is that, uh, that they're going to play in the minor leagues is that when the pitch is about to be thrown that the, um, the fielder, uh, all, all infielders have to have their feet uh, on the dirt or, in, you know, I guess there's no turf fields left, but if there were inside the, that arc that's on a turf field. Um, so, you know, the thoughts on that and then also bags being three inches uh, wider, I guess, diameter wise in order to uh, make the, play, the close plays at the bag a little bit easier for guys to steal base. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I hate the shift. So anything that gets us away from the shift uh, and gets more balls in play, uh, I think is a good thing. I, I think that anything that promotes line drive, hitting uh, hard contact on the ground creates more action. I think that that's a good thing. Um I understand people just say, hey, hit it where they ain't, but that's just not where the game is. It's not, it, it's not that simple, or baseball is not going to make that adjustment on its own. So I, I love it. Um, I think it's time to get back to that, frankly. As far as making the bases bigger to, to promote stolen bases, you know, I don't know. I don't think that that's necessarily a change that'll make its way up to the major league level, but I do think that major league baseball is going to in eventually and, and maybe sooner rather than later incorporate a ban or some regulations on defensive positioning. Yeah. And, and so the, the other conversation was, I think uh, that they were talking about is maybe that um, you could still play somebody beyond the dirt, um, but that the other, the third infielder cannot be on the other side of second base yeah, so it's from like where the thing, you know, yeah. zones basically limited. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you know, look, I, I my whole solution, I, you know, and I'm, you know, me, I'm a purist. I, I hate the shift too, like you, uh, and I wanted to see it go away. I, I was even willing to be, to make it a strategy thing. Um, one of my whole you know, arguments has been for a long time now that, you know, okay, teams want to shift. Well, you're allowed three shifts a game. All right. And then that's it. So when can you, so that way you make it a strategic thought like for the manager, you know, do I want to do it on the, you know, this guy's an extreme pull. Do I want to do it in the first inning? Yeah. You know, if there's two runners on base or do I want to save it for later in the game? So, like, I mean, like to me, if, if you make it something that's based on a limit and there's a strategy to it, I'm OK with it. I think that that's that's good for the game. Yeah, um, I, could, uh, I could get behind that. Uh, right. It, it's going to 
that that though would be tough for certain hitters because they'd say like this is great but i'm still the guy that's getting it three times a game so you know that you almost wonder from like a, a players association standpoint you know is that limiting like i just think about ryan howard like what would ryan right. howard do with that rule right. um the, the only thing I, I'm like, and I'm okay. If they wanted to make the bases larger, fine. Like I, I don't feel strongly about that. I, I do like the idea of doing things to promote stolen bases. One thing I do not like though, however, is putting a limit on throws to first, you yeah. know, there's been that conversation about having a, a cap at two throws over. I'm out on that. I, I just, I, I don't like, I don't like things that, that put a limit. I know that this is contradictory to sort of what I just said about the shift, but I don't like things that put a limit on a manager's ability to uh, make in-game strategic decisions. Like, I, I don't like the three batter minimum out of the bullpen. Like, right. I, I think that sucks. Yeah. But I do think when it comes to fundamentally creating more action on the field that you, you have to do something about the shift. Yeah, and I'll t- it was funny. I was listening to Kevin Franzen on one of the radio calls uh, last week, week and a half ago. And he said that to him, the best thing that, that – the best rule thing that they came up with – was was the fifteen the fifteen second pitch clock? Yeah, and he said basically he says it prevents guys from stepping out, it prevents pitchers from dragging on pitching. He said just get out there and throw. Mm-hmm. He says and th- that is that will sp- will speed up the game. You don't have to worry about anything else. That one is the one that should be implemented at the major league level. Yeah, and I think it's important to shorten up the game, but I think that the, the, the other component of it is if the game itself is just better and has more action then you won't worry as much about the time of game. If you you won't recognize it, yep. Compelling product for three hours and you say that was great, then you're not bitching about the game time. But when you're watching a game that is slow, that is all strikeout or home run and is where the game currently, you know, at at this point, that's why we're all obsessed with the length of game because it's it's not what it was. Exactly. Because It's like football. Go back and watch the late 80s NFL and watch today's game. You go, this ain't the same sport. Right. Same thing, same thing with baseball. Go back and watch it. It's just the, the game action is not the same. Yeah, and and it's interesting because you know you know I remember we had a a debate in our Slack chat. Um, oh man, maybe a year ago now, um, where I was where I went in and, and actually showed that the game was the game. The average game is only like four minutes longer than it was you know a decade prior. And I said, but the reason you didn't you didn't recognize it then is because there was more going on in baseball. At that time, it was only four extra minutes now, but it seems like it's those four minutes seem like 45 minutes because of the inaction in the in the sport. So you're right. You're right. If, if the game if the game moves along differently, where there's a lot more happening, then you don't worry about the extra few minutes that it's taken to play the game. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Crossed Up. For Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. We will be back uh, for one more episode prior to opening day kicking off the 2021 season. See if the Phillies can end a 10-year postseason drought. Did not think that that was a sentence that would ever come out of my mouth when Ryan Howard crumpled down the first baseline against the Cardinals in that October night a decade ago. I also didn't think it would be a sentence that would come out of your mouth after they said they were going to let eight teams into the playoffs last year. (laughs) Always closing on a positive note. We'll talk to everybody (laughs) soon. Thanks for listening.